so far through the book of Mark, we've been able to read about and perhaps in our minds envision uh, several things within the life of Jesus' ministry. We read and, and heard about how Jesus called people uh, to follow him. That's one of the first things we see that he does after he's baptized, sent out of the desert, and he begins calling people to follow him. These people, they leave their livelihood, setting down their nets, uh, leaving behind their father and family to follow Jesus. And then we, together with the disciples, have seen and witnessed what Jesus did after he called them. We saw Jesus forgive sins. We saw him heal a paralyzed man. We've witnessed and read about how he healed people from impure spirits that had been plaguing them for a significant portion of their lives. Ta brought us to a passage where Jesus exercised authority over the waters and the disciples wondered, wow, who is this man that has authority even to do those things? On several occasions throughout the book of Mark up to this point, Jesus works. Uh, he tries to have them silenced. When he meets the impure spirits, he speaks in a way that doesn't allow them to say who he is, the, the Son of the Most High. As Jesus heals these people of diseases, he often will tell them, now don't go tell anybody about of it. Do not speak of this to anyone. And though the demons listen to Jesus as Jesus silences them, the people do not listen to Jesus when he requests they not speak about the healing that they've experienced in their life. As the, as the book of Mark goes on, we see that people are beginning to travel from all over the region, all over the region of Judea, from Jerusalem and from Tyre and Sidon and in all these areas to, to find Jesus. And Jesus always seems to find himself in a crowd of people. There's part of Mark that says there were so many people present around Jesus and the disciples that they couldn't even eat. Now, as we continue through the book of Mark, Jesus will enter yet another town, the town he grew up in, Nazareth. And the people of Nazareth, too, they have, they have heard about who Jesus is. They know him because he grew up there, but now they begin hearing these stories from these other places. And yet their response to Jesus when Jesus comes back to his hometown isn't, isn't quite what we probably would think the response would be. So let's head to Mark chapter 6. It'll be in the Black Bibles, page 816. In the Student Bibles, that'll be page 1,226. 
Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's been performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were, in his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if anyone or any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Jesus, he, he went to his hometown, his disciples along with him. You know, in our society today, we assume people will or would be excited for those who they've heard great stories about when they return. If someone is a, somehow a, a local sports hero and they somehow go on to college and then to a professional sports team, sometimes it would be that person's goal to go play for the home team to go back and play for the team that they rooted for and that all their family and all the people would be excited for them to return and come back and say, I remember that kid as a boy. I babysat him or I babysat her. She went to my church or, or these exciting stories of remembering who they were before something wonderful happened in their life. It's all about those relationships that they had developed over the years of growing up. In the same way, if, if a student within school uh, begins having to sell magazines for a fundraiser, or if someone a little bit older uh, begins to sell Cutco knives, uh, they're going to call up the relatives and the family that they know, and they're going to begin with the people they know because... They know that that's how you end up with magazine subscriptions you don't actually need because those people really want to help out that student because of the relationship. That's how you end up with a Cutco knife that you didn't, didn't think you needed because you wanted to help the long. You, you knew that you knew them. 
If you want to start out with something, you start with the people that you know. About 15 years ago, Emily and I were living in Milwaukee, and I was, she was called as a youth director at a Christian Reformed church there, and I had no job, and I was looking for a job, and uh, there was this company called Manhattan Life that sells insurance, and they interviewed me, and they thought, man, this guy goes to a church, and he knows a lot of people there. He's originally from Wisconsin, and he knows a lot of people there, so what they wanted me to do was write down a, a list of all the people I knew and begin to sell insurance to those people because you begin with the people you know. So Jesus is coming back to his hometown with a, a message of repentance, beginning with the people that he knows. And the Sabbath comes. Somewhere here, there we go. And he begins teaching in the synagogue. Right? All the things you'd think were lining up. He's going to his hometown to the people he knows who should receive the message graciously, who should be eager to hear about this young Jesus who turned out to be this man of God, this one doing wonderful miracles and things, this one who is talking about the kingdom coming, and what we see is they just seem to have these questions. We also see this word amazed. Unfortunately, we see the word amazed twice, and it doesn't really mean the same thing in this passage. We see that the people are amazed by teaching, and Jesus is amazed by lack of faith. That's the thing about our English language. Amaze doesn't always mean the same thing. You can be amazed by the idiotic things someone would choose to do, right? You can be amazed by some illogical choice that someone made. You can be amazed by something that brings awe and wonder. You could be amazed by someone who was gullible and believed something they read on the internet to be true, right? You could be amazed by finding out one of your closest friends just won $1.5 billion in the lottery. And you're amazed by it because you know they don't even play the lottery. You're amazed because it's completely illogical and it's something that would never happen. And that's what these people are thinking. They don't think that Jesus has been given some great wisdom. They don't think that Jesus has been endowed with some great message. They don't believe that Jesus is the one who is performing these great miracles. These are just stories, made-up stories. They don't think it would happen, and they're never going to believe him in what he's saying. Though the people earlier in Mark were amazed with awe and wonder, these people are amazed in disbelief because they know Jesus. They know who he is, 
and where he grew up. Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James? Isn't his sisters here with us? We know this kid. This is the kid. This is the Jesus that when they went to Jerusalem, he didn't tell his parents where he was going and he just went off on his own. We know this kid. You know, if I went home, uh, which I did recently, I, I went to church with my parents and Pastor, uh, Pastor Barry's his name. Uh, he's been there about the same amount of time that I've been here. And Barry began sharing stories of when he was a kid. Uh, I pointed over and I looked at Peyton and I said, don't get any ideas because the stories that Barry was sharing were stories about him being mean to his brother. Now, if I went back home and preached in my hometown church, I wouldn't have to share any of those stories because everyone in the congregation had already witnessed what I was like as a child. I was the child who accidentally kicked in the door at home because my brother locked me out. And when I went to get the key to get in the house, well, then he locked the screen door. And screen doors are really easy to kick in, by the way. I was the kid who, who didn't maybe apply himself very well at school, and so people would probably be amazed that I even got a master's degree, let alone was in college again to pursue a doctor of ministry. It just wouldn't happen. They would have no idea. And so the people in Jesus' hometown too, isn't this the carpenter? We would think, we think of carpenters, we maybe think of Steve Monsma, who is a carpenter and he works with wood and he frames up houses. Or we think of carpenters who, who work with cabinetry in finishing. Jesus, Jesus wasn't a carpenter like that. He was a carpenter that worked with wood and stone and metal and a variety of things. He could maybe make a lock, he could make a latch. He could put in a door. He could put in a window. He could build so many things. The reality is Jesus, he was a handyman. Jesus, the hand, isn't this the handyman? Yeah, he's the jack of all trades and master of none, some people would say. We know who he is. He can't be doing any of these things. All of these questions in Greek, are worded in such a way, there's a word that you can add that's, that gives the answer yes. It's like this rhetorical question, yes, we know he is the handyman. Yes, we know his brothers and they're nothing special. Yes, we know he's got some sisters, unnumbered and unnamed. He's got this big family. We know everybody. How could he be doing? Well, he could. Though later on we know that James becomes 
a great person in the life of the church, in the, in the church of Jerusalem, but he's not that now. And even we know from earlier on, his brothers and family wanted to come take control of Jesus because they thought Jesus was out of his mind. Needless to say, the reception that Jesus had at home was not a positive experience. And we read, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. That's because the people know who he was before. And they're unable to recognize that the transformation that has happened in Christ's life by way of the baptism, by way of the Spirit descending on him like a dove, they're unable to see that the work that he is doing is of the Lord. Their vision is clouded by who he was as a child. They don't believe that what he's doing now is of God. They don't believe that what he's doing now is worthwhile. And then the passage says this, he could not do. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few people and heal them. Elsewhere, Jesus surrounded by droves of people. People pressing in on him. People looking for him. People who have heard the exact same stories and have have brought in their life a sense of belief of who Jesus was that if they could just be in his presence, if they could just touch the corner of his cloak that they would be healed. They have this amazing faith and wonder and desire to see who Jesus is, knowing that if they could just get there, he could do something to heal their lives. And yet, to the people that knew him perhaps most intimately as a youngster, he could not do anything. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Their lack of faith seems to hinder Jesus' power, doesn't it? I think there's a, a brief lesson we can, we can learn from this particular passage where we see Jesus' power being limited from what we know he can do, from what maybe we would expect him to do, from him being thwarted by unbelief. And I think in, in our lives, as people who desire to see God's kingdom more realized, there'll be times when in, we're, in our mind we're, we're thinking about maybe the things that we're planning on doing. And in our mind, we have this idea of a, 
a big impact that this particular ministry, this particular thing is going to have on the people, and, and so many people are going to be blessed by it. People are going to uh, be, be changed by what we're doing, and, and what happens is we, we do this thing, and then nothing happens. Maybe it sometimes feels like, man, we're, we're doing all these ministries, everybody. We're we're having coffee break on Tuesday morning and night. We're doing this thing on Wednesday. We're worshiping together on Sunday. And maybe we feel like, man, what's happening? It doesn't seem like, like the Lord's moving the way we thought. And I think we could recognize him like, we could recognize the same thing that was in Jesus' life. When you think he would go to his hometown and there would be this great reception and, and faith in who he was and there would be these great miracles that would happen and, and maybe Nazareth would be the, the epicenter, the, the starting point of this great thing that God was going to be doing and that isn't what's happening. That's the Lord's grace to us, recognizing that he doesn't expect us to be the center point of the locus point of where everything is happening and all of a sudden everyone who enters these doors will be changed and everyone who we interact with will, will be transformed into the, the best version of themselves who will be transformed to understanding Christ and will look like him. Not everyone will have that happen. We shouldn't be surprised when something doesn't go the way we have it in our mind. You know, this passage, it's not the first time that Jesus will be rejected. He'll go to another place where you would think that the reception would be great. The, the place that we often celebrate on Palm Sunday where these people are laying down cloaks. They're laying down their jackets in front of Jesus, and he's riding in on this donkey, and they're, they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to God, our Redeemer, our Messiah is here. The reception is, is initially great, and then mere hours later, the reception turns. He's rejected the same people, perhaps, that were saying Hosanna are now the same people who are saying crucify him. And yet, knowing that this was going to happen, being rejected in his hometown, going to be rejected in Jerusalem, we still Jesus see Jesus continue the mission of bringing God's kingdom, and we see it by way of the next passage, which I don't have any of the verses up there, where Jesus sends his disciples out and acknowledges to them that some points when they go into some cities, they will be rejected. They will face the same rejection that he himself has experienced in his hometown. 
and that shouldn't dissuade them from pressing on and helping people realize the kingdom in other places. There'll be people within life that like to ignore the transformation that's happening within the work of God that's happening in, in our lives and in the lives of others. But what's happening here in this passage, even among the lack of faith, even among his ability to only lay hands on a few people and heal a few people, even among the disciples going and driving out demons and healing sick people, is that God is, is taking this big, grand story of salvation and making it realized in the individual stories of people's lives. With those few people who he healed in his hometown. With the people that encounter the disciples and are healed of their demons and healed of sickness. God is, is taking those people, perhaps it's those people that we knew once, those people that we knew as younger kids or that we knew as, as co-workers. Those people that were maybe completely opposed to religion. The people that were completely opposed to, to the concept of church, that were completely opposed to who Christ is. Those people that we would say, I guess they just rejected I know what they're like. And it's God's work as people interact with them, as, as followers of Christ work within their lives that he begins to take those people who live in rebellion to God and, and slowly, inch by inch, day by day, over the course of years, begin to turn their mind from God and begin turning it for, to God, taking the story that they lived on their own and turning it into a story that has been grafted into the big picture of what God is doing here in this world as he redeems people to himself. As he takes individuals far from him. As he takes people who had lack of faith and turns them in to transformed people by the power of Christ as those who have faith given by the Spirit. As God turns individual hearts who are persistent in rejection to be persistent in their love and care of the Savior. As Jesus turns people into those who pray eagerly and often. As by interaction that people are, are formed into those who, who loved sleeping in to those who love to be with their Savior, worshiping their Savior with others. Transforming priorities from what we knew them to be to who they are now in Christ. All through my interactions. All through 
our lives selflessly, living out in ways that honor Christ each and every day of our life. And we're given first witness, just like, just like the disciples were when they were sent out two by two to acknowledge the transformation that happens in people's life as they become more and more alive to Christ being their Savior. As they go from those who, who hate Christ, who reject Him, to those who openly receive by the power of the Spirit to believe in the handyman, to believe in the Messiah, to believe in Christ as the source of all good and the source of salvation. Would you pray with me? Father, my prayer is that you remove blinders that can often be on our eyes, the blinders that that come uh, to our mind via society that, that says once someone is a certain way, that's the way they always will be. When that's not the reality of the story that you show through Scripture, you consistently take those who reject you and and try to live their lives on their own and align them with your vision, grafting their story into yours. A story where you redeem all things. All things, all people to yourself by way of your power and your glory. Help us to trust in that as we continue to live for you, as we continue to love our neighbors. And by doing those things, the Spirit works in us to lead people to Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.